Okay, here we go. Um, Last Sunday, we started Advent. And so if you missed last Sunday, you missed a tremendous um, uh, opportunity to hear Randy McNeil. He did a great job. If you missed it, it's it's online. Um, And and he talked about joy and gratitude. Um, But last Sunday, Advent, the first Sunday in in, uh, December, is the beginning of the church calendar. Meaning what we're used to is January, right? January 1. January, the word January actually comes from the Roman god Janus. And the Roman god Janus, if you study any Roman um, history and um, some, some of their beliefs, the Roman god Janus is a god that has a face that looks forward and a face that looks backward. And, and really, it's interesting because that's kind of what we do, right, in January? We look forward and we reflect on the year behind us. But the church, the early church um, decided that that's just not a practice that we're about. We're actually just about looking forward. We're looking forward to the coming of Jesus, and that is what Advent is. Advent is a Latin word, uh, is an English word that comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which means coming. And, and it's a time where we look forward, okay? We yearn and we hope, and, and, and because we're absolutely smitten by another story, uh, a, a story that is different than this, any story that Rome could give us, or in our case, the West could give us. And so, in actual Eastern Orthodox tradition, Advent is known as the bright sadness. It's an interesting imagery there, right? Because on the one hand, it's sadness in the sense of, of we look at, at all the things in our lives that are not right, and, and a world that is not how it should be. And yet the bright part comes from this yearning and this hope that the story that is going to be fulfilled ahead of us. Um, One Eastern Orthodox theologian writes about the bright sadness, and he says, The sadness of my exile, of the waste I have made of my life, the brightness of God's presence and forgiveness, the joy of the recovered desire for God, and the peace of a recovered home. So that's really what, what this whole idea of Advent is, is this, this time in this season that, that God has a chance to recultivate a different hunger in us for what is to come, for light. And so we jump into, like every other church calendar, a uh, church as it jumps into this calendar, this reflection on the coming of Jesus. And Matthew begins with a genealogy. Now, if you're, a, um, if you're one that reads the Bible and you come to Matthew or maybe the beginning of Luke and you're like, oh, this is a boring genealogy. I'm going to skip it, right? I'm going to get to the good stuff. The genealogy is actually a really powerful thing because the genealogy actually shows us this ongoing story, this unfolding story. Is that my head making that noise? That's awesome. How do I stop that? (laughs) 
Sorry, everybody. Um, it, we look at the genealogy and we're just like, why is this here? It's full of son ofs. And there's a, in the Matthew's genealogy, there's a couple women in it, which is scandalous, right? Which is actually really beautiful, ladies. But it's interesting because the genealogy actually shows us that God has actually chosen to redeem the world through people. That God is actually doing something and he is unfolding something in history that has everything to do with human beings and their part to, and to play in the story, ultimately resulting in Jesus. That God has not coerced an outcome and thrown it in our face. That God has actually used people. He works through women and men throughout history. And this, this is the story that you and I are grafted into. And this is really bothering me more than it's probably bothering you. But that's okay. It is bothering you more than it's bothering me? Oh, it was my beard. Sorry, Neva. I'm sorry, Neva. Yes, he is your dad. This guy. You give this guy one mic, right? Last week, one time, and look at him now. <laughs> Here's how the genealogy starts. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, it's interesting that as you begin to walk through these lists of names... It starts with Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, all the way back to the son of Abraham. Abraham's an interesting character in the genealogy. Usually when you hear Christmas messages, it doesn't have anything to do with Abraham. We talk about Mary and Joseph. We talk about, you know, these um, pristine kind of nativity scene of the wise men and the, the, the shepherds and things like that. But I think it's really interesting to start with Abraham. Abraham hears a call from God to leave his family, to leave his homeland, and to journey out. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. Now, if you understand the story, the story is this long journey. And in those days, it wasn't just like, eh, I'll catch a Southwest flight, pop home. I mean, this was a move for good. This isn't a chance to go back. This is a kind of a burn the ships kind of thing. And what I think is interesting about it is I can imagine if I'm Abraham, if Abram at this point, if I'm Abram and you get that call to go, to leave, to depart, it's actually a Hebrew word that I can't pronounce, but it, the Greek word is exerkomai. And that word is to go, to depart, to leave. And, and this idea of this is where God's taken you and there's this huge spatial distance between what is familiar and what is unfamiliar, okay? Now, it's interesting if any of you have moved somewhere far away. 
Maybe you got deployed in the military or you went off to college pretty far away or you got transferred somewhere. It's interesting that leave, right? Especially when you're like a high school kid going into college and you're leaving home for the first time. It's just like there's, there's two things that happen simultaneously. One is this exhilaration, this, this adventure ahead, right? Like this is what I can take in my little Honda Civic, you know, and, and I'm going for it. I'm setting out on a journey. I, I remember when I was off to college, my, actually my second year, I, I drove, I got to take a car and I drove from uh, California, I grew up in Northern California, to Denver. And me and a buddy jumped in my car and we head out on a road trip adventure that had uh, many hilarious stories in, in, involved in it, including getting stuck in the Utah desert trying to four-wheel my truck in the salt flats like an idiot, right? And so there's a whole story there. We broke a tow truck. It was hilarious. But the point is, it was exhilarating. The whole thing was just like, okay, I'm off on my own. I, there's this, like, like this adventure ahead. But the other thing that happens when you go and when you leave them and you depart is there is some excruciating sadness involved. There's two parts of this. There's an exhilaration for the journey, and there's a, there's a sadness. There are times when you are far from home, when you are far from what is familiar, and your heart is breaking. Um, parents, when you've sent kids off to college, um, when you've seen your kids move away, or when you or or kids or like when you're off at college, or when you're or you're far from home and you're missing your family, and there's moments in your life where your heart aches for that. I remember dropping Sydney off at the airport. She headed to Australia for three months, and it was just like we saw her just descend down the escalator, and it was just like, oh, right? So there's that two-part. There's an exhilaration, and there's that excruciating pain of going, of leaving. And really what I think we see here in the story of Abraham is this beginning of what it looks like for Jesus. And Abraham was called to go, this ex-Ercomai, this to an unknown land filled with uncertainty. It was filled with tribalism, if you read into the story some more, famine and injustice. And all he has is God's word to lean on. That's all he has is God's promise. Listen, here are some of the promises uh, that come in verse two through four. It says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And it says, so Abram went as the Lord told him. Now, don't let that, that, this idea of leaving leave your imagery, your imagination. Because Jesus ends up filling the story of the, of the genealogy. He, he ends up fulfilling all these different lives we run into in the, the genealogy. And, and what's interesting is we get so drawn into lesser stories than this. See, this story of what God is trying to do in the world is inviting you and I into it all the time. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your, it, it, you might be coming here and saying, uh, this whole bright sadness thing, I'm in more of the sadness. 
But God is still inviting you to join into the story. The problem is, is you and I get drawn into far lesser stories all the time. Uh, The Pharisees were drawn into a far lesser story. They thought it was the biggest story, but it was a far lesser story. Herod was drawn into a far lesser story. The zealots around Jesus' day, they were drawn into a far lesser story. And it's easy for us to criticize them and say, hey, how did they miss Jesus? Like, we're reading the pages. We're like, what is wrong with these guys? What is wrong with these people? How did they miss Jesus in this? But it's easy to criticize the Pharisees and wake up and realize one day that, wait a second, I'm becoming one. I'm getting kind of focused in on religious duty and I miss God right in the midst of things. Or it's easy to criticize Herod. Remember, Herod was uh, the, the, the leader of the Jewish people at that time. And, and, and it's easy to get, criticize him and then wake up and realize that we're becoming like Herod. That we're interested in ourselves and we're rooted into consumerism and control. And we miss the story. We miss the plot line of what God's trying to do. And so we can link up Abram and Jesus. Abram leaves what is familiar. He leaves what is familiar and and plunges into being called by God into a different world, a world full of tribalism and justice. And Jesus is called to leave what is familiar to come to earth for us. That's the incarnation. We read that in Philippians 2. It says this, who being in very nature God, this is Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus left to do all that for us. And so this spiritual distance, right? Dang, Neva. The spiritual distance that God goes to make a home in you and I. That's that's this distance. The spiritual distance that God, just how far God was willing to go to dwell in you. And so as we wrap this very brief talk up, because you're used to much longer, the question I have for you is where are you feeling the distance? Where are you feeling the distance in this journey? Because we are so familiar with the story, many of us are so familiar with this Christmas nativity type story that we lose the plot so much. And I grew up with the story and and where's the wonder and the mystery and the beauty? Where is that lacking? And how ironic, right? That Advent last Sunday fell between Black Friday and Cyber Monday. (laughs) And the stories we're telling each other have to do with Black Friday in Cyber Monday and not Advent, not the coming, not the bright sadness. How do we reclaim this story? 
I mean, here's the thing. Like, one of the things that we're doing is looking ahead to 2020. And we're excited about the journey that God has our church on. And obviously, there's so much happening and so much that looks like it's not happening, but it's really happening. (laughs) And one of the things I'm grieving is how many people in our lives are either A, they have no idea how great of a distance God has gone to make a home inside of them. I grieve that. Or B, have left the story. Have somewhere along the way decided that this story, this grand sweeping story, isn't cutting it. That brunch is a better option. And, 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 and they're asking questions. And I want them to, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that they begin to ask questions. I have friends like this, like, what if God is? Like, what if I'm wrong? What if there is more? And that's just some of the things that we're, we're, we're praying for and hoping for and yearning for. A couple things that are happening this next year that we're pressing into. One is kicking off a, a student ministry for our church. And there is so much conversation. I've had a few key chats here with folks, and we have so many people who have a passion and a, and a love for students. Um, I mean, just Saturday morning, a, a, a high school kid um, wrecked his car in Arvada and died. And we're, we're, we're mourning that, and there's kids that are mourning that. And there's so many things that we want. We want to create space for people, for students to explore the bigger questions of life. And we also want to do this on a more of an adult level too. Um, Recently, some of us have been asking the question, what does it look like to have spiritual conversations with people who are far from God, who are are maybe having... uh, some thoughts or thinking about who God is and, or maybe are kind of uh, deconstructing things that they used to believe and they're trying to figure out where God fits into all that. And we want to create a space for that. And so we're praying about an option for our church to be a part of, to invite our friends and, and to have spiritual conversations with them over a meal. And so there's more of that to come here too. But as I thought about what it looks like to be the church, to be each of us individually and corporately together, part of God's story. I uh, was thinking of a way to finish this conversation today. Sorry. And um, a few of, of, of us nerds in the church recently picked up N.T. Wright's newest quick read. It's called The New Testament in Its World. And typically what I do with a new book like this is I I have a little way of reading through some things to get a gist of the book before I really get into it. And the last part of this book, I just have to check the time. The last part of this book moved me so much. I was tearing up in, the cof- in this, this coffee shop you probably know about. And it was weird because people are like, are you okay? Um, I'm going to read it to you. And I just feel like this fits with us today, where we're going 
in this message. And he closes this huge book with this. uh, N.T. Wright says, The church, in the strength of the Spirit, must signal in its life and teaching that there is more to being human than mere survival, more than ambition and power and entertainment. Life, we must insist, does have a purpose. There really is a different way to be human, and it has been decisively launched by Jesus. There is a new world, and it has already begun, and it works by healing and forgiveness and new starts and fresh energy. He goes on to say the church, because it is a family that believes in the new creation, should stand out in every city in town and village as the place where hope bursts forth. Not just a belief in the hereafter, and that's what many of us grew up with. You got your ticket to heaven? Yeah, okay, come be bored at church. And that was our journey. Not just a belief in the hereafter, rather a belief that God's new world has been sown like seeds in a field, and is already bearing surprising fruit. Where this hope takes root, the story told by the whole New Testament comes to life again and again through Jesus and by his spirit. The new world has been born. And that we, and that we do, oh, sorry, all that we do in the present, working for justice and redemption and beauty in searching for truth in every sphere of life, above all, is speaking cheerfully and wisely about Jesus, and it's rooted in Scripture, and it's designed to produce hope. And he wraps up by saying this. This new creation generates a new way of life in which heaven and earth overlap, in which God's future breaks into the present in which we discover what genuine humanness looks and feels like in practice. When we start to glimpse that, and that's really what it, I mean, that's all we get are glimpses. When we start to glimpse that, we find that we are listening to the voice of Jesus calling us to follow him into God's new world, the world in which the hints, the signposts, and the echoes of the present world turn into the reality of the next one. Isn't that beautiful? All that we do here comes down to this, to prepare for and enter into that already inaugurated new creation, the world that will at last fulfill all of our hopes. That is the story that we're invited into. That is the the hope of the journey. That is the, when God says, come, follow me. That is like, Abram, go, leave, depart. Something that is familiar to something that is not yet. That is Advent. 